they say you need money to make money. And for many startups, that old saying rings true. That's right. And be it through hard-won loans or by the grace of an angel investor, many entrepreneurs try to fundraise to keep their businesses afloat. Well, there's always hype around scoring big bucks from investors. The smart entrepreneur, though, considers all capital-raising methods before asking for cash. <laughs> Boy, that's a pretty good idea. And if you're ready to jump into the funding pool but have questions about the whys and whens of obtaining funds, Stay tuned today on Biz503. It's all about capital. I'm Rebecca Webb, founder of Portland Radio Project, co-hosting today with Andy Gigerich, digital managing editor at the Portland Business Journal. Thanks, thanks very much for joining yeah, us. Yeah, thanks, Rebecca. And we're joined now by two Portland experts on the topic of startup capital. Uh, first of all, there's Carolyn Duncan, who's on the phone. She's the CEO of 10X. And Robin Wong, who's the executive director of Ascent Funding. Welcome to both of you guys. Uh, Robin, let's start with you. Uh, at the very, very beginning here, like, what are some of the different sources of capital that we should be looking for, or we should be talking about when we're meeting with new companies? Well, when you're uh, first, thank you for having me here, and it's, it's an honor and privilege here. Um, when you're meeting with, um, starting with new business, um, you know, you really got capital that is, you know, friends at your savings. Uh, you have capital that um, people may invest in your business, and there's capital that you know you may borrow from other sources, whether it's friends or families or a bank or a credit card. So you know that's in general the, the depends three on sources. how lucky you are. Depends, yeah, and depends <laughs> on your network. I mean, if you got a rich uncle or a grandma, you know they're willing to put money into your business. You know, all the power to you. Sure. And Robert, do you want to take just a minute uh, to talk about Ascent, your nonprofit, and who you serve? Sure. So we're a nonprofit small business lender, and we're focused on businesses that are not able to secure traditional bank financing. Banks will only lend to you know certain types of businesses, and you know we provide support to those businesses that can't get bank financing. Great, and I know that you highlight underserved communities. Give us some examples. Uh, sure, it's you know three main populations: uh, women-owned uh, businesses, minority-owned businesses, and businesses in uh, low-income areas. Um, these are businesses that have traditionally had harder time getting capital. Mm -hmm. And you do most of your work around Portland or Oregon or. Correct. The Portland, the four county areas of Portland. Mm -hmm. Great. Okay. And Carolyn, tell us a little bit about 10X while we're kind of going through the introductory part here. What is it that, that you do and where do you do it and how do you do it? Sure. Great. Thanks for um, having me join the call. So 10X was started in 2008. It's an accelerator that helps companies increase their revenue and um, go after fundraising that's appropriate. We've been working with about 50 teams a year for the last nine years. Um, so we've seen it all and heard it all. Um, I started 10X um, as a reaction to having worked internally at a venture capital fund and just seeing like so many entrepreneurs kind of hit that brick wall. And also in combination with the capital market melting down in 2008, I thought it was a great time to kind of go on the other side of the table and work hand in hand with entrepreneurs to build their companies. So we um, started in Portland, but we now work with companies um, in every like, location. We have a team right now that's working in Greece and France and Philadelphia. Uh, we have a team, a couple teams in Portland. We have a couple teams, um, Bay Area, San Francisco, LA, uh, Kenya, all over the place. So we yeah. should say that along with 10X, Carolyn also runs the five minute biz magic workshop. Hey, Carolyn, uh, Robin mentioned, you know, sort of three groups, friends, family, investors, and getting loans as sources of funding. So can you talk to us about what kinds of businesses might want to consider each of those structures? Sure. Yeah, that's a great question. And I think Robin's comment was primarily targeting um, what I consider early stage companies or maybe um, 
companies that are going to reach a certain level of scale, but maybe aren't going to be fit the traditional venture capital model. But just to kind of clarify what that model is, there's a lot of mystique around venture capital. And I think um, it's unclear like what size of company is appropriate. So typically a company needs to be able to reach hundred million in revenue or valuation within a five to seven year time horizon. That's not most companies. And so the type of capital that Robin was talking about is really applicable for probably 80 or 90% of companies that are getting started. And particularly a lot of companies in the Portland uh, metro region that would be listening. And so I always advise companies that revenue is going to be their cheapest, best, and most easy to access form of capital. And then if, if there's a delay on that or there's additional capital needs, then and you're in the early stage, Robin is spot on that it's great to look first at your network. It's great to look at the organizations in your region because a lot of capital is allocated within a regional constrained area. Like most investors in Philadelphia are going to invest in Philadelphia or within like a two to four hour Hmm. radius. That's true of banks. That's true of um, lenders. That's true of friends and family communities. So. Well, that's, that, kind of where that, I start. that's kind of fascinating that you, I didn't realize you were so widespread. Is there like a way, like, let's say I'm starting a business and I'm out there like wondering what type of investments to look for. Is there like a one size fits all solution that might be able to, uh, to steer me in the right direction? So I, mean, I, I could make um, up a business if you want <laughs> with that help. No, it's, it's actually, I don't even need that. It's really funny because I do have a rule of thumb with teams that talk to me about fundraising in our accelerator. Here's my rule of thumb for anyone. If you're under 300,000 in revenue, which most startups and small businesses are, and that could be 300,000 a year or 300,000 ever in the 12 years you've been in business, you're probably not going to have a good or easy time raising money. So I really recommend to lean on trying to get to profitability through generating sales. And then once you reach that critical mass, then you can go out and start looking at more formal or more institutional forms of capital. Um, so that's my cutoff. And for venture capital, it's actually a higher bar. Um, most VCs and a lot of angels, especially in the Portland metro area, won't really look seriously at a company until they're exceeding 500,000 in annual revenue, which looks like around um, 35 to 45,000 per month in consistent revenue. So again, if a company hasn't kind of hit that threshold, I actually pretty much won't work with them on private capital fundraising because they need to prove out some traction first. Yeah. So basically, we are talking about someone who is in production then, someone who has a tangible good that they're selling. Um, I would say that most institutional capital at the later stage pretty much exclusively invest in, you know, product business models. Not um, The model doesn't need to be 100% product. It could be 50% product, 50% services, but they're looking for something that can scale. And typically that has some kind of, you know, intellectual property, physically manufactured good, you know, something that can be packaged and productized. Um, it's usually not like a graphic design firm that's going to raise venture capital, right? Most services wouldn't be a fit for venture capital. But what's really fascinating is like in the digital era, now we've got these like services online that are products. So it, it's kind of a, a hazy blur. And Robin, sometimes. I saw yeah. you shaking your head at the idea of a sort of one size fits all model. Do you want to weigh in? Sure. I mean, it's it's really kind of, you know, your business, if, if like Alan said, if you're going to grow really fast, that's a business that's, you know, appropriate for venture capital. If venture capitalist wants to make a lot of money. They want to invest in the next Google. And not every business is going to be like that. You know, if you're a restaurant, you know, chances are you're not going to be the next Google. Um, and it's going to be a very hard time getting venture capital. So maybe debt or savings or sales, as Callan said, I'm totally in agreement with her, is, is sales is your best form of capital because you don't have to owe it back or you're not giving anything up for that. 
So, you know, it really depends on, you know, your your business, what you want. You know, if you want control of your business, if you get venture capitalists to invest in your business, uh, they want a piece of your ownership. They want some control in your business. I mean, if I'm going to invest, you know, several hundred thousand dollars into your business, I want control. Mm-hmm. So, and some business owners don't want to give up that control. And jumping like over to venture capitalists for, for a second, that's always just kind of fascinated me. I want to know how they work and what they look for. Um, maybe talk a little bit about the pros and cons of getting together with them when, or like trying to attract venture capital as opposed to, you touch on this a little bit, but, but maybe just, yeah, go back. Actually, and, I would defer this question to Carolyn. I mean, that's sure. she's sure. venture capital. Yeah. <laughs> I'm dead. <laughs> yeah, <Go> Carolyn. Um, <laughs> It's pretty funny. Um, It's funny both as an entrepreneur um, approaching VCs, and it's also interesting being a venture professional, like having worked internally with a firm and working with a lot of colleagues at venture funds. I mean, it's um, there's actually, I'm going to recommend like a really great free resource online from Keenan Partners, their venture fund down in the Bay Area. They're like a billion dollar venture fund. They have offices, I think, in Israel, New York, um, and one other continent. I can't remember which one, but they had um, their VP of marketing, um, Gina used to work for the dummies company. And so she just got tired of hearing entrepreneurs like pitch the wrong way to their firm all the time. So they made a packet called how to pitch the VCs or something like that. And it's like a visual diagram flowchart, and it's like 20 slides. So beautifully done. Um, and it's really simple and easy to understand. It really communicates like these are our preferences as a fund and like, don't say this, don't do that. Like focus on these 10 topics. It's a tool that I use every time I have that conversation with an entrepreneur about like, what do VCs want? And, um, it's really interesting. You mentioned like VC is so fascinating. It, it, it kind of is, it has this like sexy reputation in the capital market. I had an, um, an Uber driver the other day who works for a bank in Utah that started the venture fund that I first worked at. And we're kind of chit-chatting about our professions. And I said that I, I had worked at that venture fund and she was like, oh, wow. And it's like, why does it have that mystique? It's just money. It's it's hilarious, but it, it has that for some reason. It's only money, but you are recommending Keenan Partners out of San Francisco. Is that right? Yeah, Keenan Partners. Would you sp- and they have, um, it's called the Keenan Partners Guide to Pitching or something like that. Just uh, Would you spell it yeah. so people can Google it? Yeah, it's Keenan. C-A-N-A-A-N, partners, pitch book or whatever. Yeah. Canaan. Okay. Well, good to know. And you served a real softball there because we're going to talk in the next segment about pitching the do's and don'ts when we come back. You're listening to Biz 503, the podcast for small businesses, startups, and anyone who wants to turn their idea into income. Biz 503 on PRP. And welcome back to Biz 503 on PRP. I'm Andy Giegerts, the Portland Business Journal, co-hosting with Rebecca Webb of Portland Radio Project. Today on Biz 503, how to get your startup funded. And it's more than just knowing where to look for money. It's also the art of asking for it. That's right. And right now we're going to hash out a few of those common mistakes and talk about the best practices of the capital raising game. Joining us to offer some insider's insight is John Fries, who is the executive director of Starvups. John's on the phone. Hey, John, how you doing? Good, good. Thanks for having me. Good. And and uh, Carolyn Duncan is also still on the phone. She's the CEO of 10X. And John, let's let's start with you for this one. Um, we do want to talk about, as Rebecca said, preparing a pitch. And before we talk about the mistakes, I'm sure there are plenty of them that you've seen. But just talk about what some of the first things people should do uh, when when they're getting started in this process. Well, if you're getting started to pitch for fundraising, uh, I believe there's quite a few things that you need to try to do very, very well. Um, first and foremost, it plays off of, of what Carolyn was saying before. You essentially need to be ready uh, as a company to go out and ask. Otherwise, it'll be a pretty futile effort. 
Uh, so that's number one, getting the company to a far enough point where you've hit certain milestones and what we call KPIs, right, or key performance indicators that investors are looking for, whether they're angel investors or VCs. So that's number one. Uh, number two is you really have to get to a point where you understand what the message is, the sort of the why around the business. Uh, and really boiling that down, you hear all the time these sort of one-liners uh, that these companies have that describe what they do. Um, someone will say, we're the Yelp for camping. And that's a company here locally in town called The Dirt. Everyone knows what Yelp is. They understand how it works. And then they understand that these guys do it for camping. So secondarily, you've got to get your message really, really dialed in uh, so that people can understand rapidly what you do. And then I think the third thing, which I think is often overlooked, is um, just sort of that human element. Uh, all too often, I see guys and gals walk in and they just start pitching. Uh, and the people on the other side of the table want to have a relationship. They want to have an affinity towards you as the founder or founders or the leaders of these particular companies. And so if you just walk in and start pitching and don't get to know them, haven't uh, done any homework in regards to what they do or what they care about, I think you're very unlikely to be successful. So those would be definitely, from my perspective, the first three. Actually have a business that's ready to um, get to a point where you've got a message and a presentation itself. And that's really what the presentation is, the narrative, the story of the business that actually is refined. And then last but not least, bring, bring in the human element. Because in the end, uh, angel investors specifically, uh, early with friends and family uh, investors, and even with venture capitalists, uh, they are investing in the founders first and foremost. And that's who they're looking at to um, you know, carry the weight of this company uh, to, to, to the point of an exit. That's a pretty good list, you know, having your business at a certain stage. That's a long list. Your message <laughs> and your passion. Would you say that not having those things are among the top mistakes uh, that startups make? Oh, easily startups go out too early to raise capital, like Carolyn was saying. She's like, I'm not, what's the point? And, and Robin you know, was saying, you've got, you've got to be prepared as well. Uh, there's no question that's the number one issue is people going out too early. They've got an executive summary. They've got a PowerPoint presentation. They've got a prototype. And they think they're going to be able to go out and raise capital. Now, that's with the physical good. You can do that, generally speaking, with software, uh, you know, in certain regions of the country, like in the Bay Area, like, like down in, in, in certain parts of Texas, Austin specifically, Boston. Um, there's a certain number of cities where that can happen and works. But a lot of that also has to do with trends, the team and the history and past successes of the teams. Uh, and also introductions where you have relationships that are established. But, yeah, the number one thing I see is, is companies going out way too early with not enough. And again, when you don't have enough, you don't really know who you are yet as a company, and you're not really getting anyone excited about the potential opportunity. And then last but not least, what do you do? You just sort of flounder, and you just meet with people, and you pitch, and you pitch, and you pitch, and there's no results. And then right. you get discouraged and fatigued. Right. And Carolyn, we'll get back to you in a second. I just have one follow-up for John. The Yelp for camping, um, what's the best one you've heard, and what's the worst one you've heard? <laughs> oh, well, I, I, the worst one I heard was, um, the I mean, the Yelp for camping, Really, really well done. I mean, I think you get it instantly. Um, one of the worst I heard was uh, uh, these, uh, st these students uh, at, at a college were pitching for um, essentially a better form of animal taxidermy. And uh, they would make your animals look like they were essentially smiling and uh, <laughs> try to basically go mass market with taxidermy of household pets, uh, which is an extremely oh small market, very expensive. <laughs> and I just thought, I don't. I, I honestly don't ever want to tell someone that something's not going to work, but that's definitely close to being. The <laughs> no, that, that must have been a, work. a fun conversation to have. <laughs> that is fantastic. I know you want to get in on this, Carolyn. <laughs> are oh, there man. some? Yeah. <laughs> are sure. there some uh, sort of horror stories that you could share? <laughs> 
You know, it's funny, and I probably wouldn't have thought of this if John were on the line, but we actually had, and I apologize, John, in advance, but we had a mutual colleague that pitched me one time on a concept called burrito balls, and I just, I couldn't get past it. Like, it wasn't going to happen. Like, that's probably takes the cake on that one. Um, Maybe it's just because it's lunchtime, but I think that sounds kind of good. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Well, I think think the food was good. Yeah, John could add to that, I guess. I was just saying, regardless of the idea, this, I think Carolyn does such a great job and I've actually been through her courses myself. And one of the things she does is she gets you to really get down to the nitty gritty of, of, of the value of where your business is at and sort of scores you almost like a, a report card. And, and the point I'm trying to get at though, is that um, if you, if your business isn't mission critical, what I mean by that, if you, if your whole life hasn't sort of led up to this business, if you don't have a particular set of skills that make you one of the few people, or maybe the only person in the world that could pull this off, if your life's not going to be incomplete, if you don't do it, then really there's no point in going out and pitching and raising money at all. I mean, the numbers, whether Robin's talking about SMBs or small to medium-sized businesses like restaurateurs, gas station owners, et cetera, or Carolyn talking about people that are running you know, high-growth businesses, uh, in the end, if it's not your purpose and if it's not your passion, if you're not one of the few people who can pull this off, uh, and if your life's not going to be incomplete, then there's really no reason to go out and pitch at all. And I think that's probably the most important message we could get out is don't go out there and do this unless you absolutely feel like it is your purpose. Otherwise, it is a difficult, difficult, long road that has very few winners at the end. Mm, I love that. And this is probably a good time to tell us a little bit about it, Carolyn. It's the five minute biz magic workshop. What do you do there? So, um, yeah, we teach a fundraising prep class where we go through all the aspects of prepping your business to go out and raise money, whether it's a bank loan or whether it's a Series A round of capital. And so in that program, we go through like creating a roadmap, creating financials, dialing of the story. We go through that Keenan pitch deck um, in depth and compare your deck to that deck and see where some of the gaps are. We go through a best and worst case um, funding plan. We just go through all the aspects to really get get you out of that kind of half-baked mode that John was talking about. Cool. And so, do they have to um, go somewhere or is this something they can no. join Yeah. Virtually? So prep, yeah, we teach it through Skype and Zoom video. So for 5-Minute Biz Magic, this week we focused on fundraising just to get ready for this panel. Great. And that comes up when? We will be starting that in the end of May. Oh, that's That's very awesome that you're doing that, by the way. Um, so, John, I want to talk to you a little bit. I love the idea of someone has to have the right purpose and what they're uh, what they're doing. They really have to believe in it. And that, that kind of gets us to the whole question of honesty. So, I mean, can you talk about like how important it is that, that someone is being sincere or at least passionate about what they're getting ready to do? Yeah, it's mission critical. You know, in the end, people can assess whether or not the founder is really excited and purposely driven to do a particular business, or they can tell whether or not a founder is simply looking to have monetary gain or follow a trend. Uh, I I think, uh, somewhat unfortunately, a lot of the capital does go to trends, uh, specifically predominantly in the software realm. Uh, And you'll see just a a massive new competitors. Marketing automation is a phenomenal area uh, for business growth and for data analytics being utilized to increase sales for companies across the globe. Uh, but the glut of companies that have come in under the auspices of marketing automation is an example of the trend. Though it's an industry and it's phenomenal and it's necessary, the, the number of individuals that enter into that space uh, in, a, in a matter of, of months or, or years uh, has just been off the chart. So you, you see that a lot. Uh, but in the end, I, I think what's always going to capture uh, an investor and or prospective customers is that, is that authentic narrative. 
uh, or story around the company. Um, and in the end, those are the ones that people get the most excited about. Uh, those are the brands that build the fastest. And in the end, uh, there was recently, and I hope it doesn't come off as tangential, um, there's an organization in the Bay Area called Circle Up, and it is uh, the largest consumer product good or CPG fundraising platform there is. And uh, you can put your company on there, and they have like 13,000 what they call accredited investors on there that can look at your ketchup company or your cheese bread company, whatever it may be. Um, and they recently did the largest study ever on consumer product goods. They say that the data on consumer product goods from companies like Walmart, Amazon, et cetera, a lot of who have these things called APIs, which is uh, basically access to their data. Um, they've compiled all, those, all that information from all those APIs, and they actually found out there are three things that differentiate specifically a consumer product goods company. Think of some of the mixed furniture or food or beverages or whatever. And they go against the grain of what people have thought for years. Most people think, oh, it's all about the team, 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 and what they call TAM or total addressable market. So they're like, you want to raise money? You have an amazing team. You have a huge market. Well, what they found out after searching all this data is that the number one thing that can differentiate one company from another, let's say they're both doing chocolate bars, 30, almost 3,400% increased likelihood of success with brands, specifically storytelling, the ability to say, here's what we're doing as a company that's unique to this chocolate company. And in the end, that outpaced uh, the team, which is about an 800% increased likelihood of success, and distribution channels, which is about 800% increased likelihood of success. So 3,400% increased likelihood of success with brands. And so in the end, the point I'm trying to get, and to answer your question, Andy, is that mm-hmm. it, it is all about the authenticity of, of the message of what the company is trying to do. And, and in the end, that, that's really what people are looking for. That's, that's what makes people have an affinity in a relationship with a company that goes on for years and years. And years. Right. Yeah, and I, I can totally see why uh, they believe in what they're doing, because I seriously want to know more about them. I, did you say they are actually doing this? And is this something that's like consumer facing? Could we go out and look at some of their data? Yeah, so circleup.com is the uh, is specifically the fundraising platform and the project that they did, which is compiling all of this data, is called Helio. Uh, and they're now sharing it because they want to basically increase the likelihood that people will invest in what they focus on, which is consumer product goods, food, beverage, apparel, et cetera. And they also want to prove that they can find um, diamonds in the rough early, early on. So like Carolyn was saying, if you're up to 300000 that's usually a no-go, and it absolutely is. They've found a couple of companies that were doing less than 50000 in sales, but the following they had already at this very early stage was so strong, they told investors, you know, put millions into this company, this one's going to go. People love the founders, they love the authenticity of the brand, and they love the products. Hmm. And Carolyn, uh, talk a little bit about things that you should be prepared as a founder or startup to uh, answer. Like, what are people going to ask you when you're pitching? I love that question. And I think John set up the conversation really well when he kind of said like, you know, that it it is a relationship with investors. And I think that's one thing that I really want to um, strengthen is that a lot of people, when they're out fundraising, they kind of treat it like a series of first dates, you know, like, oh, I'm going on this like investor pitch and like, who knows? And then maybe I'll follow up with them. Maybe I won't. Maybe I'll hear from them. Maybe I won't. They kind of treat it in that way. But what's really fascinating is that all the investors like within a certain region pretty much know each other. We get together, we talk, we talk about you, um, you know, we compare notes. In fact, in Portland, there used to be this, um, I don't know if they still do it, but there used to be a quarterly get together for VCs called the Northwest Deal Flow, Venture Deal Flow, something like that. 
and we would get together and we would kind of like, it's almost like we all had like these little baseball cards that had like an entrepreneur and like all the stats of that entrepreneur that we'd heard from their pitches. And we kind of like, you know, well, who have you been talking to? Who have you been talking to? And we kind of compare notes and it was it's a really fascinating subculture within the investment networks. And so I'd say like, can, can the business journal it, steal that idea for a, <laughs> for a special yeah. section going up? <laughs> yeah, you, you totally can. It would be really fun. So actually based around that, one of the things we did early on in 10X was we created some content called 16 Habits of Successful Entrepreneurs. And it was really based around this idea that like investors, when you sit down and talk to them, we kind of have this like checklist in our mind of like 10 or 15 things that we're like waiting for you to tell us about. And you it's kind of like a pass fail. Like if you talk about it, then we assume that it's, you know, it's in motion, it's in development. Like if you talk about sales, if you talk about brand, if you talk about product development, if you talk about team, then we're kind of like checking off in our mind, like, okay, they talked about team, they talked about market, they talked about, you know, uh, distribution. But a lot of entrepreneurs like don't have that checklist in mind when they build a pitch. So they kind of lean too heavy on product. They lean too heavy on brand. They lean too heavy on um, the concept and they forget to include all the things that really make a pitch hit all the core aspects that will get you that second meeting. And so then that entrepreneur will just kind of spin through a lot of first dates and like at the end of it, get frustrated and kind of say like, well, investors just don't get my business model. Well, that's one possibility. But the other possibility might be that like you didn't kind of clear enough of the check marks on that list to make it through that first screen, which is really what a first meeting with an investor is kind of like a gate check. Um, so that, that's something that I would say. And then another thing that I wanted to mention is in terms of like allocating time towards fundraising, I know that's an area where entrepreneurs are just like, I'm spending all this time on fundraising. I'm not seeing any results. And in a lot of cases, it's because they've actually sort of like let, let go of the reins of running the business um, and picked up the reins of fundraising. And their priorities are now off balance and they're not generating enough traction to be compelling to investors. So the ratio I typically give um, entrepreneurs is spend 75% of your time on the business itself, trying to get sales, trying to get customers, trying to get the product um, ready to go. And don't spend more than 25% of your time on investor meetings and pitch decks and refining your business model and getting your financials done because the most powerful thing I've ever seen in fundraising, it actually happened in Portland. One of our entrepreneurs who was past that 300, 500,000 mark in revenue was going out and fundraising and I told him to spend most of his time on sales and just a little bit of his time on fundraising. And that's what he did. And so this investor colleague came up to me at a networking event and he was like, Hey, aren't you working with that entrepreneur? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, you know what? He like has not called me back. Like, where is he? Like, why isn't he returning my calls? And I was like, you know, the thing is, I'm pretty sure he's out on a sales trip right now. Like he's just slammed <laughs> meeting with customers. Like literally, and he was. Now I'm like, I, he barely has time to get back to me. Like I'll let him know. And he, he was just like so incensed. He was like, you tell him to give me a call. And it was so, it just, it was such a different dynamic. And John, you know this because you've been out pitching. Like most of the time it's like an entrepreneur, like many entrepreneurs chasing after investors, you know, and this, in this case, the investor was chasing after the entrepreneur. And I love that. I think it's such a great thing to keep in mind. That is a really great story. Do you want to piggyback on that, John, or do you want to hear my next question? I can totally piggyback on it, especially if your next question has to do with sort of um, what, what are the key ways to actually to get some cash in. But I want, if that's what you're thinking. Yeah, I, I please. Absolutely. And I, I think one thing to add to it is um, in the end, any form of fundraising is a form of sales. And Carolyn's right that you, you shouldn't be putting, people always say that it should be 100% of your focus. You take up 100% of your time as the founder and CEO. And that's just, 
exactly going to end up negatively impacting the business. Like Karen said, you'll take the, the reins off of the, the core business. Um, but entrepreneurs often ask us and founders ask us, you know, what do, what do I need to do in order to actually get them to, to put the money in? And we say, well, in the end, all sales come down to two things, momentum and urgency. And so in this particular instance, in this example that Carolyn just gave, there's momentum. The business is moving forward. They're making sales. Uh, and then there's urgency because they're not calling back the investor saying, I need your capital because I'm actually revenue, quote unquote, funding the business. That's what they call it, right? You're actually driving forward sales. And so momentum and urgency are very difficult to create if they aren't there. And so there's a couple of, of uh, strategies and tactics you can take. But essentially, when it comes to momentum, you actually need to do some exciting things for your business. And we call them chance events, which sounds a little oxymoronic because you actually can help create them. But an example of a chance event um, is a company calls and gets an exclusive collaboration project with Amazon. Uh, they have a piece of, of hardware that they developed. Uh, it works really well, uh, but they want to do something really, really big. They're going to be exclusive to Amazon, and they work on this relationship for a year. No one even really knows they're in business. They haven't been going and pitching uh, the VCs and the angels in the area, and then they, they land the deal with Amazon. Instantly, they have momentum based purely on that one particular relationship. That would be a chance event. And why I call it a chance event is perhaps uh, something in the universe had come your way, and there had been uh, a colleague that you'd had in the past or a mentor, and they got you access to the head of hardware partnerships at Amazon. You ended up uh, having a, a strong relationship with them, and in the end, they, they worked with you. So that would be a chance event. That creates massive momentum. Right? If you have one of those, an event like that, you can raise hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars in two to three weeks. The average funding cycle in the United States takes a founder nine to 12 months to raise. Uh, and that doesn't matter if it's generally a seed round, what they call a series A round, or even a, a series B or C round. So that's momentum. And it's so hard to create unless you're actually building the business like Carolyn always teaches. But then urgency. Urgency is key. Because if you don't have a timeline, why would you not be the last person to put money into the business um, and mitigate risk. And so one of the key ways to do that is you just have to put a, a timeline down. You just have to say, this is the date during or by which we will end this particular round. Um, and then you actually, that 25% time that Carolyn's talking about, if all of a sudden that, that, that sort of goes up to 60 or 70%, that's fine because you have a finite period of time. What it also requires you to do then is think of how you can use that capital more efficiently. And if you tell investors, I'm going to raise this much by this date, if I raise less than that, this is what I'll do. If I raise even less than that, this is what we'll accomplish. If you then go back to those investors, and by the way, you've got the momentum, you've got urgency, and you hit those what they again called milestones or KPIs, and you go back and say, you gave me $250,000, we hit all of these milestones that we put in this document for $250,000, almost unequivocally across the board we've seen over the last 17 years, uh, you will get follow-on investment from those investors. So. I just wanted to throw that out there, that momentum and urgency are very difficult to maintain and to create, but they are ultimately all that matters in regards to, to sales. And that's what creates that fear of missing out. What, what, what Carolyn was describing with that investor, they call FOMO or fear of missing out. Uh, and it's the idea that, wow, I, I had this deal, I had this opportunity, and I didn't have a chance to invest or I missed the opportunity to get involved. Yeah, it sounds like really good advice. John, just before we take a break, I want to ask you about that a little bit more about timeline and how it figures into your fundraising approach. Uh, you guys specialize in uh, emerging stage companies, and you talk about marketability, viability, and exit ability. So uh, talk a little bit about w what you're shooting for and how that plays into your fundraising strategy. That's a great 
question. Um, totally, totally it is because, and I think Carol will have some great feedback on this as well. When you look to join an accelerator or a scalerator or look to join an organization that is going to be with you for a long period of time supporting your business, uh, they should always start with the end in mind. Uh, and so do you want to build a long-term existence-based business, i.e. where it's going to be profitable and you pay yourself and your shareholders dividends? Or do you want to exit and have an exit strategy, i.e. you're going to sell the business, merge, get acquired, or go public? Uh, for us, most of the companies are looking to exit, but there are quite a few that are looking to do what they call existence-based businesses. So you start there. Uh, what we have uh, our, our founders do is we say, when do you want to sell, to whom, and for how much? And when they write that down, they put $35 million to, you know, to Amazon, and I want to do it in, in, in 2022. When they say that, and they, you're like, is this really a viable suitor? They say, yeah, great. Let's work back from that. Because it's five years. You want to sell for $50 million. Uh, you are a software company in the healthcare IT space. Okay. Uh, those companies usually get bought for five to seven times top line. That means you're going to have to be doing between seven and $10 million in revenue in five years from now. You're at zero today. Um, uh, what is your model? I sell, a, I sell a solution to physicians for $49 a month they use on their phone. Okay. Well, that means you're going to have to get 20,000 physicians uh, to come on board uh, within five years. Where's the product at? Well, uh, I, I don't have any technical background. Um, I can't write code, and I don't have any money in savings. So all of these factors, right, start to come and play. We started at the end, and now we're at the beginning, and we're trying to lay out the elements that are leading this founder, uh, he or she, into deciding what they need to do. Generally speaking, if you're going to raise money, most people raise a friends and family round of anywhere from a hundred to two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Again, this is people that are purely investing in you because the business isn't far enough along, and that usually, again, uh, takes often for a lot of entrepreneurs, uh, six to nine months. That's probably the shortest funding cycle. The next is right. what they call a seed round. This is generally uh, about 200000 to $500,000. Again, taking six to 12 months. Uh, this is from hopefully some of those same individuals that are higher net worth, plus a couple of angel mm -hmm. investors, men and women with high net worth. Then you go into your Series A, uh, which is generally, at least in Oregon, uh, you're running between about 750000 all the way up to $3 million. And then you go into Series B, C, and D. Now, these these, these particular uh, monikers for rounds are different in different states where money is more readily available. That's generally what we see in Oregon. Yeah. Uh, and in the end, you kind of need to raise all the way up until an A if you're going to build a big company. Statistics show that across the board. Yeah, so, that makes total sense, John. Um, uh, and you had mentioned like the different levels and whatnot. Um, Caroline, I wanted to ask you sort of, you know, with all the markers that he gave, what are some of the reasonable expectations in regards to funding? Oh, sure. Um, well, the, the way that we kind of see it, John's totally right. That That is exactly, those numbers are really specific and those timeframes are really specific. And it's so much of a benefit for an entrepreneur to internalize that and to evaluate where they're at on that cycle and not try to like fundraise at a stage that they're not at, if that makes sense. But um, we see the markers yeah, basically like, get, yeah, get from zero to a hundred thousand as soon as humanly possible. I've seen companies do that in, three months. I've seen them do it in 18 months, right? And so the pace that you set for how you're going to get to that goal sets the pace for how quickly you're going to get to the next goal, which is 300,000. Mm -hmm. And I've seen companies do that in as little as, you know, six months from 100K to 300K to three years, right? And so um, I think it's really important to match your revenue timeframe to your fundraising timeframe. And so what we typically see is like, yeah, it is going to be, you know, three to six months to get to 100,000. If you're on the fast track, another three to six months to get to 300,000. So now you're, you know, a year plus into the business. 
And you had to find creative ways to make the funding work throughout that process, right? Mm -hmm. Whether it's getting um, customers prepay or whether it's getting, you know, credit card or friends and family investing. Then once you get into kind of the bigger leagues, like when your revenues are have stabilized to 300 to 500,000, then with some companies, we've actually encouraged them to skip angel funding, especially because it's so difficult in Oregon and the, it's such a conservative capital market. We've advised them to just like, keep it small, keep it lean and get through milestones um, so that you can raise a higher round of a series A at a better valuation and retain more equity. Mm -hmm. That's a play that I really enjoy seeing. And so I think, you know, just the only thing that I would add to John's comments is just kind of like, keep that revenue timeframe and that fundraising timeframe in harmony. And then the, the, the overlay on that is that investors actually have like their seasonality to when invest, investment even happens. Like, in Oregon, it's in most West Coast investment firms. It's kind of like the middle of January to early June, hmm. and and then it, and then it shuts down so, until September. So time's running out. Yeah, yeah. It, this is it's kind of like the the next three weeks is the last like the last hit for asking for capital, and then it's going to go dark for two three months because a lot of investors are high net worth individuals. They're on vacation. They're in their right. summer homes. They're in Europe. You know. So and then it opens back up September to December. Yeah, that's really great stuff. And and uh, people should be talking with people like you guys because you know what you're talking about. In, in our next segment, we'll get to more of that because few entrepreneurs start off making the perfect pitch or knowing how to repay a loan. So in just a moment, resources and go-tos for folks who are looking for help with their funding. Are you ready to turn your idea into cash? Or are you already launched and hitting roadblocks? Join PRP each Friday at 1 p.m. for Biz 503, the talk show for startups and small businesses. Welcome back. I'm Rebecca Webb, co-hosting today with Andy Gigerich on Biz 503. Thanks, Rebecca. We've covered sources of capital and the best ways to get access to it. Now we're going to talk a little bit about resources and advice for entrepreneurs who need practice, help, or just a little bit of feedback when it comes to capital. Back with us in the studio now, Robin Wang, Executive Director of Ascent Funding. John Fries is still with us on the phone, Executive Director of Starveps. Welcome back. Glad to have you here. Thank you. And let's, you know, so many people are not going to be actually pitching to investors or, you know, looking for that venture capital. So let's talk about, you know, some other funding sources. I know that you are uh, trying to highlight and provide resources to underserved communities. What sorts of resources are there for them? Oh, there's plenty. Um, there's, you know, websites. One website I would point people to is venturize.org. Uh, it's put about a nonprofit. There's no sales, nothing. They're not selling anything, just information about all different types of loans and how do you pay loans and calculators and all that kind of stuff. So uh, it's put on by a, another nonprofit organization. So I would encourage you to start there. There's a lot of good information there. Uh, and then in person, you know, we're very fortunate here in Portland um, in the Portland metro area. There's just lots of resources out there to help people prepare for getting capital. Um, you know, the local SBDC chapters, they have a lot of programs. There's a capital access team that helps you get, you know, loans. Uh, there's our organization. We have um, a program called Get Loan Ready, which, you know, helps uh, business owners prepare for getting loans. Um, and the challenge with with loans is is that, you know, you need to... Uh, sometimes plan two or three years out in advance before you can even apply for a bank loan. So if you make a small mistake today, it could you know have ramifications two years from now. And 
And you can't fix it then because you have to wait two more years before you can fix and, and apply. So, you know, we're a resource. Um, you know, there are other organizations like uh, Mercy Corps, um, SCORE, uh, SBA uh, chapter or administration, small business administration. They have a lot of programs. Um, so, you know, it's it's all really accessible by the Internet or in person um, on websites. So, you know, just you know, start Googling around. And aren't you doing something uh, coming up right away at Ascent along those lines? I believe it's some <laughs> kind of game show. Yes, yes. So we're in, in the entrepreneurial spirit. Uh, we're putting on our first ever game show and it's kind of a mashup. Uh, between the dating game and Shark Tank. <laughs> and the theme is, you know, do you think you have the chops? Do business owners have the chops to get a business loan? We'll have contestants there in the front of a panel of bankers and presenting a, basically a loan application. And you'll have an opportunity to hear in the minds of the bankers what they're thinking about the loan. You know, these are the strengths. These are the weaknesses. Uh, I'd fund this. I wouldn't fund this. And really hear firsthand, you know, why they're going to fund you or not. And, you know, a little interactive, fun way of doing it. So, it's the first time we're doing it. We'll see how it goes, and hopefully we'll do more. I mean, is is it like uh, the dating game where the they can't see each other? Yeah, <laughs> like, no, it's anonymous. Is, is there like a trumpet theme song? And- <laughs> I, well, I don't know about we'll have the, all the audiovisual in fact there. But, you know, one of the things about borrowing, uh, you know, when you're filling out a loan application is it has a lot of private information. You know, uh, when I was a business owner, I was going for a loan. Uh, they were asking a whole bunch of information about my wife, who's not even involved with the business. Um, and I was like, you know, why? Um, so, you know, it's a lot of personal information, a lot of information, you know, you're, you're vulnerable. You're standing out there kind of, you know, in front of these strangers and, you know, have all this information that they're asking from you. So uh, for the game, um, we're asking people to present this information, but we're keeping the contestants anonymous so that they can feel comfortable sharing you know, their smart. credit score, their financials. Uh, and, you know, everybody can learn. They can learn. Uh, but they're not revealing who they are, you know, yeah, so. Yeah. And I want to ask you too, you mentioned several sources, you know, the Mercy Corps, SBDC and, and you guys and everything. Um, is your community pretty cooperative? I mean, is there a lot of collaboration where you regularly refer people to, if they don't work for you, they might work with someone yes, else? Yes, most, most definitely. You know, we all have our own kind of strengths and weaknesses in terms of what we offer and or niches, you know, so to say. And, um, you know, if we don't off this program, you know, we'll handily uh, refer someone to another organization. So, you know, we deal with lending. Uh, some of the clients that come to us have challenging credit scores. We don't do any credit building, but, you know, there's an organization called Innovative Changes that does a lot of credit building programs. Uh, so we'll refer people to them while we're still trying to give them the capital. So working hand in hand to provide the credit building and the capital. Robin, your uh, game show next week. Is it next week? Uh, it's the 31st. 31st so of May. And, a half, yeah. and give us some details. Is it a free uh, it's, workshop? It's free. Uh, it's uh, RSVP is required uh, to go to RSVP. It's uh, go to our website, ascent-funding.org uh, and look for our events page. We're giving a link to Ascent from our, from our webpage, but tell us the time and place. You're at Hatch, right? We're at Hatch on uh, 24th and Sandy. And uh, it will be from uh, 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Uh, in the evening on the 31st. And uh, John, I wanted you to to kind of weigh in here, uh, jumping on what Robin was saying about uh, the help with certain services or maybe certain issues. Um, let's say I have a little bit of debt. Are there places that you within Starbucks can recommend that I can go to get that fixed or at least get someone who will take a chance on me? Yeah, probably not as much as Robin and, and, and some of the other organizations that focus uh, primarily on that. We have approaches that we take to debt consolidation and debt payoff when our membership companies 
uh, have amassed a decent amount of debt, either personally or through the business. Often they are both, um, but we don't focus on that as much. Um, but I do have a list of amazing resources for uh, startup founders and startups. Awesome. Lay it, like lay it on us. Had. Okay. So just like Robin had for, for SMBs, and I love the work that you're doing, Robin, and this game show sounds awesome. Um, <laughs> so you can go to Oregon Startups, uh, I believe it's OregonStartups.com, and uh, this gentleman, Steve, has put this together, um, and he runs the, the Oregon Technology Business Center out in, in Beaver. Oh, yeah. He that, pulled that, together this website. Steve Morris, yeah, right? It's amazing. Steve Morris, yeah. yeah. So he pulled together this whole, um, this whole website that has literally a list of every accelerator, uh, every uh, entrepreneurial support organization, every loan uh, and grant provider in the state. It's just, it's so thorough and it also pulls in most of the events for most of the organizations. So I would, I would say go there and see some great job pulling that together. Uh, some of the large organizations that, uh, that startups hear about uh, include the Oregon Entrepreneurs Network. Uh, they hear about the Technology Association of Oregon, um, et cetera, et cetera. So there's all of these associations and there's all of these organizations around the state. And really, if you just go to Steve's site, you'll see them all. And, and kind of like what Robin was saying, you just got to kind of find the ones that are right for you. Uh, all too often, you see founders just spending kind of almost too much time networking. They call it not working at a certain <laughs> point. Um, you're, you're just out meeting people. And, 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 and as you can imagine, every time you go to one of these networking events, you could have, honestly, four, five, six follow-up meetings. And sometimes it's just with individuals that want to sell you services or that want to consult to you or just want to, you know, basically see if they can't join in your venture because they're excited about, you know, the notion of a startup. But in the end, really, you got to pick and choose where you spend your time and energy. And I think that's one thing that Carolyn's always pushed for, and it sounds like Robin and his organization do as well, is just get down to the basics, start building a real business, then go out and talk to the people that will ultimately move your business forward. I, I think we spend way too much time in life and in, especially in business just wasting time, meeting with a lot of men and women that ultimately aren't going to have a long-term relationship with us, that aren't going to work with our business, and, and we're just sort of spinning our wheels. And I think there, it's sort of an insecurity that we all have. Oh, if I just talk to more people, I'll get more ideas, I'll, I'll, I'll network, I'll, I'll meet new people, it'll just happen. It's very, it's very unlikely it does. It's, it's much better yeah. to sit down and, and build the product and, and sell the product and, and get customer feedback and support them well and generate the revenue. And then all of a sudden, guess what? People start to call, and you guys see this all the time. Whenever a company in town or in the state has mm -hmm. a big success, all of a sudden the founder is, you know, the poster uh, person across the board as this successful founder. But, you know, behind the scenes, it was 15, 20 years of hard work to get to that point. Right. And I think a, a lot of times, too, that these things can happen in tandem in terms of the networking and the fundraising. Um, we have a reporter, Malia Spencer, who writes a lot about events. She had a story this week about the Willamette Angels Fund, which uh, gave out, oh, I can't remember how much it was. I want to say like a few hundred thousand and uh, among yeah. four groups. And th the reason that stuck with me is because one of the uh, groups is a uh, dried seaweed snack company that has uh, like their seaweed tastes like bacon. And it, it <laughs> actually sound, sounds pretty, pretty decent. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> Love it. Do that you guys each want to say a word before we go about trends for 2017? Are people using any innovative methods? I mean, uh, we're going to talk more about crowdfunding actually next week, but um, what kind of trends are we looking at in 2017 for capital and fundraising generally? Is this a different kind of a year for any special reason? You know, I think on, on the loan side, 
um, you know, I think we're we're actually seeing you know banks being a little bit more freer with their their funds. Um, you know, interest rates are going up, which means they make more money, so they have an opportunity to make more money if they make more loans. Um, the economy is doing pretty well right now. Uh, you know, there's an article recently, I think, from the Portland Business Journal that we're near the natural unemployment or what's yes. the exact term? Full employment. Full employment. Yeah. Thank you. So you know, that's uh, my story. <laughs> So thank you. Um, so, you know, I think banks are seen as a low risk, you know, environment. And, um, you know, for businesses, you know, interest rates are going to continue going up. So uh, if this is the time for you to get a loan, this is it, you know, because you get to lock in those rates or at least start with a lower rate. Um, so, you know, I think it's a generally a pretty kind of friendly market. And we've had some clients who have had challenges in the past and they've gotten, you know, refinanced with traditional bank loans, which is, you know, fantastic for our mission. And, um, you know, we're seeing that happen. So I think it's easier for at least debt. Carolyn, you want to chime in? Yeah, I definitely think, um, you know, we've been tracking uh, social impact investing and uh, social entrepreneurship uh, capital for a while. And I think that it's really kind of matured into a very interesting point. So I think, um, in fact, probably, okay, five years ago, maybe once in a while, we worked with a social entrepreneur and then starting about two to three years ago, about a third of our companies in the accelerator were social impact oriented. And currently one of the cohorts that we're running is hundred percent social entrepreneurs. And that's really exciting. Um, and I think that the capital markets are starting to catch on to that. Um, and then I also think that venture funds are kind of taking a back seat in maybe importance to the capital stack that's available to entrepreneurs now. And I think entrepreneurs should definitely take advantage of that, that positioning and, you know, involve other creative types of capital, especially the types that you're going to talk about next week in their um, forecasts and in their capital plans, because it's not, it's not the most likely source of funding to raise venture capital. It's not the easiest and it's not always the best, but in combination with other forms of capital, it can be that added like platform that gets you to a whole other level than than what other, any other type of capital would do. It, it seems like it would add a whole other level of attorneys as well, possibly, right? <laughs> That's true. But you know what? I have to give a shout out to Imix because we worked with them and they're super great. And Not to discourage Imix. <laughs> yeah. No, but we send a lot of teams over to Imix and also to Davis Rach Remain. They're two of the attorneys in town that we really love and that have done great work with us for a long time. So, um, you know, shout out to Imix for supporting Biz 503 and for supporting 10X um, all of the years that they have. And just want to give a shout out to John and Robin. I've worked with both of them professionally on and off uh, throughout the years and love them. Great guys, great advice. And yeah. Okay. That's a great note to end on. Carolyn Duncan, CEO for 10X Business Accelerator, supporting founders and business leaders. Robin Wang, Executive Director of Ascent Funding, which provides small business loans to those who are unable to secure traditional bank financing. And John Fries, thanks for joining us from Starvups that focuses on emerging stage companies with marketability, viability, and exitability. John, Robin, and Carolyn, great to have you with us. Thank you. Next week on Biz 503, we're going to talk about how to bootstrap your startup and how to make ends meet when firing up a business on a shoestring budget. Appreciate you joining us today for Biz 503 on PRP. Have a great weekend. Support for Biz 503 comes from Imix Law Group, offering trusted legal advice to startups and small businesses. Imix for business advice.